Welcome to BA in Science. I'm Maggie. That's Brenna. Hi. And we can't wait to tell you all about a badass human who also happened to be a scientist. Actually, this week we're covering a mathematician, which means that my personal research was easier than usual because that, as you all know, or if you're new, maybe you don't, that's my area of expertise. So it's a lot less to look up when that's the case. Is that the same for you when you're doing, when it's chemistry? Sometimes, not all the times, because there's not, not every area of math is my expertise, but this kind today, I know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't know. I think I normally have to like go do digging, even when it's stuff I know or I'm familiar with. Well, because you have to make it understandable. So I feel like- No, it's just, it. I always want to know more than what I already know. Oh, there's only so much you can know about, like this, the math that we're talking about today, it's, I mean, there's only so much you can know about it at some point. So, okay, let's deal with weekly business before we get into it. You can, as always, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at BAN Science. That's where we post pics, source info, uh, and sometimes fun and interesting things. Although we are going to be moving some of that over to Patreon, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. Because you can also email us at science at gmail if you have something to tell us, addenda, anything like that. Please, wherever you're listening, remember to rate, review, subscribe, favorite, or whatever, because um, that really helps us in terms of getting other people to hear our show. If other people are going to love it, you should want to share it with them. Also, as I mentioned before, don't forget about our Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it is a site for content creators to offer additional content for um, subscription prices. So hop on over to Patreon, check us out over there. We post full episodes there. If you're, and if you're one of our patrons, then you can have access to those 24 hours early. We also have bonus episodes there and just in general, fun content. There's some really fun content coming up for the next couple of episodes actually. So if you're looking for, you know, even more BA in science, it's at Patreon and you can either go there's, we have a link on Facebook that we posted before, but you can just go to patreon.com and search BA in science. And we're right there at the top. So do you have any addenda from last week with Alice? No, I do not. I do. Okay. Go on. Remember how we talked about we mentioned very briefly that there was this thing where they would sew their kids into clothes for the winter. Oh yeah. And, and I asked about how they changed diapers or something, right? You had, you had many questions about the whole I thing. I had a lot of questions. Yeah, I did. And, and once you started asking them, it occurred to me that I had those questions too. Like I didn't think about it when I was researching it. I was just like, oh yeah, we don't do that anymore and kind of moved on. But once you were asking the questions, I thought, yeah, I have those questions too. So I went on a bit of a deep dive and here's what I found out. A couple of reasons they used to do that, okay. potentially. Go on. It would maybe be for warmth to keep kids warm because they thought that the alternative was to die of cold. Like you would get but so I, cold that you would die. But I mean, why do you have to sew them into the blankets? Why can't you just swaddle them? Well, like because then it could still be drafty and they could like get out of it. And like, if you were poor, then this was another thing. Like, like there was a not enough food to keep you warm, your body is warm because it has calories to burn. And if you don't mm -hmm. have food, if you're underfed or malnourished, or if you struggle with hunger issues, you're cold. So mm -hmm. they would sew them in, they would wrap them in flannel and like sew it up 
so that they, and they thought that this would keep them from dying. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, And there seems to be some accuracy issues because I went all over the internet to find stuff about this. And there were a lot of firsthand accounts. And some people were like, this is a lie. This did not happen. I don't believe you. And this guy was like, no, literally my grandmother would talk about getting sewn into her clothes for the winter. Okay. So this is a direct quote from a site that I, that I found. And this was, this site was a thread from some, somewhere in England, not sure where, but this is, you know, England, Great Britain, you know, the UK, that's what we're talking about here. Okay. So they said that sewing in was a length of red flannel, maybe red, wrapped around the torso and stitched into a tube with a vest stitched onto it. The knickers, so like underpants, were not fastened to it. So going to the toilet was possible in a normal way. It was done when the first frost or snows arrived and dispensed with when weather eased. So it was like an emergency body warmer for a few weeks. Hmm. Every so so the the general consensus was like no like this is how you did it this was a hoax the people the thing that people thought was a hoax was that there was a guy who said that in his primary and secondary school a few children would turn up sewed into their clothes and that was like as recently as the 1970s. What? Um, about 10 years ago, she remembers, this guy remembers his half-sister saying for the Christmas she was going to sew in her children for the winter since it was very cold and they were living in the country with bad heat. Like, they would just take baths with the clothes sewn on and there was no change of underwear over the time, just like they would use perfumes and deodorants to help the smell. There were some really questionable hygienic practices. But you said that they weren't sewn to the other thing. So why wouldn't they just change them? Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Apparently, regionally, this was done differently. So in a different part of England, this guy was like, no, when they sewed my friends in, it was like the whole way up. So they would like sew the vest to the pants and they would sew your sweater to your, like sew you all the way in. And sometimes there would be like a flap. So you could go to the bathroom, like, you know, those button up flaps and long johns that Mm -hmm. kind of deal yeah so anyway i'm not gonna tell you any more about it because it's ridiculous but apparently it was a thing that people did they did it because they thought it was healthy it is in fact the direct opposite of that it's very bad unhealthy practice very unhygienic um so if anybody else has any intel on sewing kids into your clothes or if you can find better than what i found we'd love to hear about it but but the rabbit hole that I went down on the internet, I was probably six pages deep in this comment on like, like the comment our, section of the thread. Our family was poor. Like were grandma and her sisters sewn into their clothes? See, I never heard grandma talk about getting like. sewn in. And she would, she would have talked about that. She told lots of stories about that. So is it a cultural thing? Is this because we aren't, we don't have English descendants. We're from Eastern Europe and maybe they yeah, didn't. But I thought that. it was the Italians sewing their kids in, in Alice's time. I don't, I don't know. I, I did too, but still, we're still not Italian. We're Eastern European. So I don't, I don't know. It was something that like the internet, even the internet is murky on this topic. Maybe it was right, a thing. Well, don't sew your kids into their clothes. Okay. That's the official one. position of our podcast for sure. All right. All right. 
So anyway, that is the only addendum that I had, just a little jaunt down the sewing kids into clothes path. So if you don't have anything else, are you ready to jump into it? Yeah. All right, then we're going to take a break. And then uh, you have the bio this week, so we'll start with you. Sounds good. I think we were both happier with how this episode is going to go since you're doing the bio, which is your happy place. You get a break from doing the science this week. And that always goes faster for you. Yes. True. Yes. Okay. And I know that our dude this week, spoiler alert, it's dude, had- He's a character. Oh, it wild. Absolutely wild. So I'm, I, there was so much that I had to skip when I was researching my part. So I, oh, I hope there's a lot of tea. I think there's going to be pretty sure there is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So give us a quote, tell us who we've got, then tell us all about him. Okay. Here's a quote from RBA. I was ever hot tempered, single-minded and given to women Cunning, crafty, sarcastic, diligent, impertinent, sad and treacherous, miserable, hateful, lascivious, obscene, lying, obsequious. Lascivious and obsequious. He sounds like a fun time. I want to party with this dude. I mean, with a quote like that, this is bound to be quite the episode, right? Right. Our BA today is Girolamo Cardano, but his anglicized name is Jerome Cardon. Uh, If you look up either way, you'll find him. Uh, so Jerome, but I'm going to call him Jerry. Yes. That's so good. That's, yeah. We're, we're calling talking him Jerry. about Jerry today. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into Jerry's life. Jerry was born September 24th, 1501 in Pavia, Italy. So September 24th. Yeah. That's my son's birthday. Not the same year, but well, cool. Yeah. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. September 24th. Okay. So Pavia at the time was in the Duchy of Milan, because remember European country, I mean, Milan is in Italy, but it was like broken up more into Mm -hmm. like, you know, we're in Milan, the Duchy of Milan. Pavia city center is about a two hour bike ride south of Milan city center, according to Google Maps. Okay. So I don't know, bike to horse slash whatever they would have, you know what I mean? But yeah. anyway, we've, we've used, I think biking and horse travel are comparable. Similar. I mean, comparable. they actually have roads now, not just, you know, cutting straight through whatever, but whatever. Okay. Anyway, it's not that far is what I'm saying. So it's kind of like near Milan. It's like a suburb. Yeah, sure. So interestingly, Jerry would have been a contemporary of Paracelsus. Nuh-uh. And interestingly, I get some strong Paracelsus vibes from Jerry, which I cannot wait to talk about. Oh, man. I actually read in one book that Jerry's beliefs and superstitions, quote, earned for him a doubtful place of distinction next to Paracelsus and Nostradamus among the exponents of occult lore. Whoa. No, no, no. Okay. Ooh, okay. Okay, so a bit of background on Jerry's family. His dad was Fazio Cardano, who was a lawyer, um, but he was also really good at math, uh, also was into the occult. So, you know, again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, But I read that he was so good at math that Leonardo da Vinci, yes, that Leonardo da Vinci actually consulted Fazio when it came to questions of geometry. Oh, yeah. Fazio lectured on geometry and math at the University of Pavia, and a place called the Piatti Foundation in Milan. The Piatti Foundation will come up again. It's basically a school like for educating poor kids, poor children. Okay. He was in his 50s when he met a woman named Chiara Micaria, who was a widow with three children. 
and she may or may not have been socially acceptable i'm not really sure why there's some i don't know it's murky apparently it's murky they become friends and then more than friends and jerry's born after that okay so um they were not married at the time uh though sometimes jerry tried to deny that was true but i did also read that at some point they got married shortly before fazio's death oh i don't know why i don't know i don't know but also super sad around the time uh before jerry's birth there was plague that broke out in milan Mm, yeah and that's how chiara ended up staying with some of fazio's friends in pavia because that was far enough away from Milan to kind of not be um, affected. But she left, she had three other kids. She left her other kids behind and they all died of the plague. Oh no. Why'd she leave them behind? I don't know. That's what I wanted to know. Like, why couldn't she take them with her? Uh, She didn't and they all died. So she's got Jerry. At any rate, Chiara and Fazio not being married means Jerry's birth was illegitimate. So put that in your satchel for later because that'll be important. Okay. Jerry wrote an autobiography. Uh, so I do have a lot of quotes and some information from his Ooh. book called The Book of My Life. Um, That's an awesome name for an autobiography, first of all. Life. I mean, it was in Italian, so it sounds prettier, you know. Well, um, Gerolamo Cardano sounds better than Jerome Cardan. Like, yeah, sorry. Sorry, anyone who's named Jerome, but you go by Gerolamo, it's cooler. Yeah. But it's harder for me to say. So, Jerry. Um, but according to him, his mom took, quote, various abortive medicines and that he was taken by violent means from my mother. I was almost dead. Was he like Macduff or whatever? Like, um, and also maybe she was in labor for three days. And if that's true, then yes, he, I don't know. He probably would have been almost dead if she was in labor for three days because that's not safe. No. Yeah. How did she not die? I don't, I don't really know. I don't. I think is this where a the occult be... comes in? Is this where the occult stuff comes in? Well, like, I mean, I don't think he met any, you know, satanic demon in the tree in the forest, but um, I, I don't really know. Again, there's a lot of murkiness, and I am not sure how reliable Jerry's autobiography is. So okay, fair enough. there's that. Okay, okay, fair enough. I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but Jerry was big into astrology, so he wrote this about his birth which he wrote a lot it's in terms of like the astrology or or whatever but he wrote nevertheless mars was casting an evil influence on each luminary because of the incompatibility of their positions and its aspect was square to the moon therefore i could easily have been a monster except for the fact that the place of the preceding conjunction had been 29 degrees in virgo over which mercury is the ruler Besides, since the sun and Venus and Mercury were in the human signs, I did not deviate from human form. Is that <laughs> like, is that, is that the centuries version of Mercury was in retrograde? Is that what I just happened? So. I think it did. That's, but also like, was he, like you know, you weren't like going to be Mercury, a minotaur. If it Mercury's not in the human form, like, what are you going to be an ox? Like what? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, this isn't like roll the dice minotaur or human depending on where the <laughs> planets are like no you're that's not how this works that's not how any of this works look obviously i don't understand these things because that makes zero sense to me but he was very serious about it and well then well he left we'll talk a ton about it but i'll talk a little bit more about it later. okay um i don't have a lot to say about his childhood other than to say it sounds like it sucked 
um sounds like his dad was kind of overbearing about everything and he was also a really sickly kid which i mean if his mom did take a bunch of medicine to try to kill him uh might have damaged him a little bit um so he had bouts of illness like frequently he wrote in his autobiography that he was unjustly whipped sometimes by both his parents i think (laughs) my kids would say that they were unjustly punished by me a lot too though so like i'm gonna take that with a grain of salt because i mean i I don't whip my kids but i'm just saying that they might think that early bedtime is unwarranted it trust Um, me when i say it's not And then one time he wrote about like one time how he fell down the stairs with a hammer in his hand and the hammer smacked him in the forehead. And I don't know why he had a hammer and was going down the stairs, but he had like a scar there from then on. I don't know. This is why I'm saying like, I'm not sure how how much of a serial killer because like he had head trauma. He had (laughs) questionable parentage. Like, did he light fires and kill animals because like or or was it because mercury was where in just the right place that he did not do those things 29 degrees something or other right into virgo or whatever i don't yeah i don't i don't know again this is why i'm a little suspicious of his autobiography like i mean i think he did write it he wrote it and we'll get to it and he ends up in rome in his later years he wrote it towards the end of his life so like maybe he wasn't kind of all i don't know i don't know i don't, don't know Um, So as we get into his adult life, we have a little bit more information about him. He, according to his own writings, he was of medium height, uh, had very small feet that made well-fitting shoes hard to come by. Uh, He had a wart over one eye. I'm not going to lie. The pictures I see of him are not super flattering. Um, No. Mm -mm. But I I guess it's okay. Like, you don't have to be Paul Rudd to be a BA, I guess. That's true. That's true. I mean, Paul Rudd? Really? I mean, yeah, sure. But like, I mean, but I just feel like he'd have that like settle approach, you know, that's like, true. you wouldn't expect him to be a BA, but he, you know, anyway, yeah. he wrote a, about a lot of his diseases and illnesses, fluxes, palpitation of the heart, kidney trouble, kidney trouble. I've done my duty in talking about kidney disease in this episode. So he kind of becomes an assistant for his dad. But again, because of his ill health, um, two of his cousins actually help out when he was too sick to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he kind of gets through his childhood and, you know, teenage years and whatever. So then he goes to University of Pavia. I'm just calling it Pavia U to study medicine. And Papa Fazio was very against sending Jerry away for school. Mama thought it would be fine. So there were some disagreements in the household about all this. Eventually, Fazio was like, okay, fine. You can go to school, but you need to study law. And Jerry's like, "Um, I didn't choose the doctor life. The doctor life chose me. And he's like, I'm going to med school. So he does. Yeah. But I have to take a really quick detour historically. Um, There was something called the Great Wars of Italy, or sometimes I guess it was called the Habsburg Valois Wars. And this all went on from 1494 to 1559. And I did a really quick read on this because Italian politics are really complicated during this time. Have you tried to understand? Complicated. Okay, but they were very complicated. But it's like France and Spain were fighting, but they were doing it in Italy, and yeah. Milan was like a hot spot. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody who is like, if you are a historian specializing in Italian in the Italian wars, please let me know what's going on here. But what what matters for us is that Jerry actually had to leave Pavia U because it shut down because of the war, and this will happen oh. a couple times where things kind of shut down because war. Oh, you know. Oh, okay. Um, so he, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. He ends up at Padua U, I think, to finish school. 
or maybe he makes it back to Pavia before I don't know he's out at Padua and then he's back to Milan I don't know I don't have firm information on that he runs to become the rector of the university and this was possibly a unique construct of Italian universities during the renaissance I read an article about renaissance Italy and university structure but anyway basically students were elected as rectors and then they led student organizations and sometimes the rectors would also teach I read that by the mid 16th century this had essentially become not a very important role but during Jerry's time in school at least it was probably still being filled like by the time we get to the middle of the middle of the uh, 16th century it's it's kind of more nominal than anything okay but remarkably Jerry got elected and I say this because he had already gotten himself a reputation for being kind of a jerk he wrote about himself this i recognize as unique and outstanding amongst my faults the habit which i persist in of preferring to say above all things what i know to be displeasing to the ears of my hearers i am aware of this yet i keep it up willfully in no way ignorant of how many enemies it makes for me so i said what i said yeah okay yeah i mean you know so suffice to say, it's not like he's making a lot of friends at uni, but I guess because this position sounds like it was kind of phasing out in terms of how important it was, maybe people were like, sure, whatever. I don't know. So we're going to fast forward to 1525, although I read 1526 one other place, so I'm not sure why there's discrepancy, but he's got his doctorate in medicine um, and not without some drama. So the first ballot after he defended for his doctorate was 47 to nine against him. Oh, that's, and then there was a second, good. No, there was a second vote that he still didn't pass. And then finally, there's a third vote that went opposite of vote one. And he got his degree with a 47 to nine vote in favor of it. I don't know why it took three votes. I don't understand. I didn't look into the structure of medical school in Italy and Renaissance history to know why, you know, but you know what, you know, it didn't happen. Some mysterious fire burning record of him getting that degree. I was just going to ask you, I was like, is the reason we don't know if it's 25 or 26 because of no. a mysterious fire? I don't know. Or... Maybe I just misread somewhere or mis, you know, transcribed around. I don't know. So 1525 or 1526, but I'm looking at you, Paracelsus. Someone actually has a piece of paper that proves that they got their doctorate. So, so you know, I mean, you know. Um, so in his personal life, Jerry was dealing with his father's death. Um, this was in 1524. Fazio left him some money and here's where some problems begin because he squanders the money because, you know, he's a young adult or well, he's a young, not fully developed in his brain male and he did stupid stuff, right? That's what, I mean, anyone who's ever been 20, 22, 25, any of those ages, yeah. do stupid yeah. stuff. Yeah. So to make up all the money he lost, he's like, you know, it would be a good idea after I squandered all this money, gambling. That's a and fail I mean, safe no. way to make all your money back. It always works that way. When you owe somebody a lot of money, just be like, you know what? Double or nothing. It'll work totally fine. Yeah. I'm not going to get my legs broken. <laughs> I know. Uh, hopefully you're going to tell us a lot more about his gambling. So I won't talk oh, yeah. too much about it. But yeah. he was smart and probably more often than not came out ahead. Not always, but probably more often than not. He but did. card games, dice, chess were his games of choice. Mm -hmm. um, and not surprisingly, he was running around with uh, dubious, to quote one of my sources, company. Um, one time he thought he was being cheated. So he just dumbed it, slashed a guy in the face with a knife. 
yeah, that sounds pretty typical of gambling at the time. If you thought someone was cheating you, I'm not going to talk about it extensively, but everywhere I read about gaming of the time, if yeah. you thought someone was cheating you, the appropriate retaliation was them. stabbing. <laughs> so that was, that was entirely appropriate. Jerry's just doing the normal thing. Yep. Yeah. So remember that attitude and personality I mentioned about how kind of got Jerry in trouble, like didn't make friends kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once he gets his doctorate in medicine, he wants to join the College of Physicians in Milan. And they basically, from what I kind of read through, the College of Physicians in a town was basically like modern day licensing or like a board certification. Like you are allowed to practice medicine here or like, you know how you go to the hairdresser and they always have to have their certificate from the state. That's like, they're licensed. I don't know. I kind of see it like that, like college of, of physicians in Milan, whatever. So he wants to practice medicine in Milan. You know, you had to be a member of the college to do this. So he ticked off a bunch of people Mm -hmm. and they don't want to let him join the club basically because he's a jerk. And they dig up the dirt on his birth and there's a clause in their rules about being illegitimate. So that's the grounds they use to not accept him, oh. which is why I think at times he tries to deny that his mother and father were not married when he was born because his illegitimate birth was causing him issues. I mean, it, it wasn't, it was him being a jerk, but they were able to use that in terms of keeping yeah, him sure. out. Of the yeah. Car. Because if he was a nice guy, no one would have even checked. Right. They were like, yeah, great. Sounds great. So he ends up in a small town outside of Padua called Sacco, and he ran a medical practice there. It wasn't particularly successful, but while he was there, he met his wife, Lucia Banderini, and they actually got married in 1531. Jerry's father-in-law was a captain of the local militia. I didn't really find too much else on the Banderini family. I mean, I didn't look that hard, but I didn't see a whole lot. Um, we will definitely, definitely talk more about his children later on, but I'm just going to list them out now with their birth years and don't worry, we're going to get to them. Okay, good. So we've got Giovanni Battista or Giambattista, or I just call him Bambi. Yeah. Yeah. So Bambi, Bambi, Bambi easier to say, okay. Was born in 1534 and then they had a daughter, Chiara after his mother, I'm assuming, was born in 1537. And then they had a son named Aldo in 1543. And he also wrote that his wife had two miscarriages. He mentions them very briefly in his autobiography, but that's all I, that's the only place I read it. And that's all he mentions. Okay. So then before I get too much farther into his biography, I want to mention that in addition to glossing over all the stuff Maggie needs to talk about, I'm also not going into a lot of detail about his medical practice. I know you're going to focus on the math. He did have a medical, like he was practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. I'll have a few interesting things I probably mentioned, but um, there was one book that I didn't read through, but I had as a source and it was literally just on his medical writings and contributions. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more to him if you're like curious about that, but we won't spend a lot of time on it, mm-hmm. but I'm just mentioning it for our medically inclined people. Yeah, sure. Okay. So he, so he and Lucy are in Sacco and even before any kids come along, Jerry realizes he can't really support his new bride with his crappy medical practice. And so he moves to a town called Gallarate. Sure. You know, I'm just going to butcher every Italian pronunciation I possibly can in this episode, but it's near Milan. It's again, it's outside of Milan. Okay. He's not successful there. So they end up back in Milan and Bambi is in the picture now. 
And I think they literally, literally end up in the poorhouse. Yeah. So some bad times, but he somehow has enough friends in high places. At least he knows some people in Milan, but he gets a job lecturing math at the Piatti Foundation Mm -hmm. in Milan. I think he practiced medicine on the side illegally or whatever, because he wasn't in the College of Physicians still. Um, But again, he had some kind of miraculous cures and starts getting attention from some patients. um, So he gets some popularity or recognition. Okay. Okay. So he's still cheesed, though, that he's not in the College of Physicians. And so in 1536, because this makes sense, he publishes a book attacking the college's medical ability and character including such lovely passages as those things which give most reputation to a physician nowadays are his manners servants carriage clothes smartness and caginess all displayed in a sort of artificial and insipid way but doesn't that give you paracelsus vibes it does did he like i was just did he know paracelsus like i don't think paracelsus was not really ever in italy right yeah well i mean getting in italy but like, I don't, I don't, I don't Due know. Due to a mysterious and unfortunate fire, we're not exactly sure where he was, but. Like besides that, so yeah, I mean. Because that's, that's a, that's a page right out of Pat's playbook. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't like these him. guys? Drag them. Drag them yeah. very publicly. Flame them hard. Right. Yeah. So he did this and then shock of all shocks, he did not get accepted to the what? College of Physicians the following year. Isn't that weird? That's so, so weird. weird. I I thought for sure that would totally work you know public humiliation and criticism usually is definitely an in that's how you that's how you win friends and influence people like oh Jerry but somehow he's become influential enough again kind of like some of his medical practice and stuff that by 1539 um the clause that's in their rules or whatever about not being allowed in if you were illegitimate was removed Mm -hmm. and basically they finally had to let him in because he was qualified he's just a jerk in that same year in 1539, he published his first two math books. So I think Maggie is hopefully going to tell us more about that oh, or yeah. at least mention that. So um, I'm, I'm mentioning about it. One of them. Okay. I'm mentioning it though, because this was kind of, I think the start of his prolific writing career that would follow from this point on. Yeah. Because he writes a lot. Um, in 1540, he left the Piatti Foundation. Um, I think probably partly because he can practice medicine now. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, or maybe he's just over it. I don't know. Um, But I read for the next two years, he essentially spent his days playing chess and gambling and writing too, presumably. Yes. So um, yeah. And then from 1543 to 1552, I didn't really find too much about his life other than he goes back to teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, Except this time he's lecturing medicine and he's kind of on again, off again at Milan U and Pavia U and it's that whole great Italian wars thing when yeah. things are shutting down and not shutting down because of war, you know, whatever's happening is, you know, messing stuff up. Um, but during this span of time, his wife, Lucia dies. Um, that was 1546. I did get the feeling he was super upset about it, honestly. Okay. Um, by this time, he was more popular and famous for his medical work. And he becomes the rector of the College of Physicians and um, actually one source I read said that he had the reputation for being the best physician in the world. I don't know what source that comes from, but I mean, I did read to the point that like foreign heads of state in Europe were seeking his medical services, like the queen of Scotland, the king of France, the king of Denmark, were like, yo, 
homie needs you to come do some medicine here or whatever. 100% not known to this day for his contributions to medicine. Like if you look up Jerry, two things come up. Yeah. Ars Magna. Ars Magna is what comes up. His his book that I'm going to talk about, but like it it is not medicine that comes up. But I told you there was a whole book. I don't remember. I I probably have it in the sources, but there's a whole book that was just about his contributions to medicine. So they're out there. It's just not what people talk about anymore. Yeah. So for some reason, so he kind of got all these, I get, I suppose, you know, and I don't know, was this, we got this information from his autobiography because maybe he's making it up. I don't know. But for some reason though, um, John Hamilton, who's the Archbishop of St. Andrews in Scotland was Mm -hmm. the one to draw Jerry out of Italy. So Johnny Hamilton is Mm -hmm. um, relevant and important because his brother was James Hamilton, the Earl of Iran who was the regent of Scotland from 1543 to 1554. Like, cause Mary queen of Scots was like a baby, you know, when she yeah, became cause babies just as queens podcast, babies don't need jobs. <laughs> babies don't need jobs. So Johnny's brother was the regent. So like okay. being, being an archbishop at St. Andrews or of St. Andrews would still probably be, I mean, I think that's a thing, you know, it's, that's a title. <laughs> that's a pretty big deal. But his brother was also regent to the queen. So these hands, uh, I went, I went down such a rabbit hole with these Hamiltons. Like their dad had a bunch of illegitimate kids and he divorced his first wife because they thought her husband was dead, but then he wasn't, but then they regranted a divorce years later. So then I don't know if they actually did split there, go down the rabbit hole. Like it's <sighs> so fun, but these Hamiltons are in fact ancestors of our Alexander Hamilton. I hope that you were going to say that. Oh. I was desperately hoping that you were going to tell me that, that there is an Alexander Alexander Hamilton connection. That's wonderful. Did we ever investigate if Alice was related to the Hamiltons? We never did. We did not. I, you know what? That would have been in there though, because all of her Probably. other family connections to like well-known Hamiltons. That's true. But yeah. her, because her, well, I mean, her grandparents did come over. Her, her paternal grandfather did come over. So, listeners, you have some homework. Let us know if Alice is related to Alex Ham- Hamilton. Okay. Good to know. Okay. At any rate, our boy Johnny had been suffering from severe asthma for ten years, but he had mm. gotten to the point where he really couldn't even like talk anymore. It was that bad, oh, and might have been on death's door, li- literally, oh. figuratively. I, anyway regardless johnny's like bro i'm totally gonna die if you don't come and treat me i'll pay you like stupid amount of money pretty please and jerry's all like all right bro i'm in between teaching jobs so yeah i'll come i'll totally fix you those are probably direct quotes that sounds like direct quotes yeah so on february 23rd 1552 jerry heads to scotland and what was interesting about his journey to scotland was that kind of everywhere he went as he traveled he was treated as like a celebrity from Mm -hmm. what i read like his work as a physician and maybe a mathematician, I don't know, um, had become widely known, I guess. So he was, you know, welcomed wherever he went. Um, and I'm not sure if this tidbit of information came from his autobiography or not, to be honest, because I found several times sources had conflicting information about Jerry. But anyway, um, at any rate, he gets to Scotland in June. And one source I read said he discovered that the source of Johnny's asthma was his feather pillow. Oh, and so he's like, bro, you got to ditch the feathers and you'll be fine. But I I don't, I don't know. 
So by September, he's sailing off into the sunset with somewhere between 1,400 and 2,000 gold crowns. Whoa. Again, conflicting, conflicting information. And if I did the math right, uh, I think a crown was like five shillings at the time and with inflation, blah, blah, blah. It's like 13 to 14 um, ish British crown carry the one dot the I. Anyway, about 150 to $200,000 for that little job. Whoa. Whoa. Someone can check on my, cause I had to convert a lot of things, but anyway, um, he made a pretty good deal of money for going to Scotland to be like, uh, change your pillow. And Johnny and his friends try to convince Jerry to take a court position. But he's like, nah, bro, I got to get back to Italy. And I guess things end well for Johnny. Cause, um, I read that he wrote Jerry two years later and was like, yeah, totally great. Thanks. Wow. All right. Well, Jerry makes it back to Pavia, teaching medicine at Pavia U. And I'm just going to leave his professional career there for a few minutes with him being, you know, this superstar or whatever. Yeah. So let's talk about his family and personal Yay, life. Let's talk about his children. This is this... the stuff that I had to skip and I'm very yes. excited. Okay. I'm going to start with a quote of his regarding the four greatest sadnesses in his life. Oh no. This is a quote. The first was my marriage. Cool. So I don't know if I feel like he was too sad about Lucia going. Nope. The second, the bitter death of my son. Oh. The third, imprisonment. The fourth, the base character of my youngest son. We've got to unpack all of that. Oh man. Like, yeah. so his whole family, like if he would never have had a family, he wouldn't have had any tragedies in his life. Is that what we're, oh dear. I mean, I mean. You know. well, the imprisonment, we'll get to the imprisonment thing. Just, okay. Hold on. All right. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if when with the marriage, I don't know if that's like that she died or that he married her or like, I don't really know. He didn't it's pretty vague. Like, I don't want to like, that's one of those vague booking kind of things. Like if it would have put that on Facebook, people would be like, bro, what's what's going on? So let's talk about the bitter death of my son thing. Okay. So okay. he had three kids, Bambi, Kiara, and Aldo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So by 1557, Bambi qualified as a doctor as well. Mm-hmm. But he had also secretly married a woman, woman named Brandonia de Cerrone. Okay. Like, I'm going to call her Brandy. You're a fine girl. Yeah. Well, okay. like, but, so was she a good wife? Except no, not what a fine wife you would be. Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely right. the exact opposite. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to find out why Bambi did this, like, like, how, like how this came about. But when Jerry finds out he is not happy, he said Brandy was a quote, worthless, shameless woman. Oh no. So here's what I get from the whole thing. Cause I had to, you know, read a couple things, whatever. Jerry decides I'll support the young couple financially. They move in with Brandy's parents who basically just want to milk Jerry for all he's worth. Cause he's got some wealth. Mm-hmm. Brandy apparently very publicly mocked Bambi for not being the father of their three kids. But like this, is, okay. I don't know if I'm just so they got married. I think they didn't get married until late 1557. And he was in jail by 1560. I'm not sure how they had three kids together unless maybe he knocked her up and they had a kid and then they got married because he knocked her up. And then they had two more successively. Or maybe he's not the father of any of them. And she just, I don't, I don't know. I really, I don't know if it was true that they weren't her, his kids, or if she just said it because she was a horrible person. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either, but what, like, how did, how did Bambi take it? Um, well, okay. So one place, one source I read, like for sure, in fact, the kids weren't his, but then another source was like, well, maybe she's just terrible and thought it was like 
fun to humiliate her husband or, you know, make a cuckold of him. I have no idea. Um, Brandy came to an untimely end. Oh, no. Um, when Bambi poisoned her over the whole thing. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. You want to know what I read about how he poisoned her? Yeah, I really do. Because, okay, so- like, this is, he's a doctor, so I got to know. So, supposedly, he had a servant bake a cake, mixed the flour with arsenic, and yep. served it up to her. I, th- I was then- going to guess arsenic. Oh. Yeah. And I read that other relatives ate it too, but I guess like maybe they didn't eat as much or I I don't know. Or he walked around punching people's forks out of their hands. Like, don't eat that cake. Just like, you know, (laughs) this is my lovely wife. Yeah. My lovely wife who. How dare you eat her cake? Yeah. And I think he did confess. So I guess she did drive him to that point, I I guess. Wow. I don't know if he confessed. I mean, I guess he could have always confessed just because he I I don't know I guess guess he did it all right so the judge hearing the case basically tells Jerry like look the family wants money because the Disaroni family is out for money they've always been out for money they just wanted to milk the whole thing situation from the get-go right so it's I think it kind of morphed into a civil suit not a criminal case and it was kind of like if Jerry paid the family off like maybe Bambi would at least not get killed okay well they name a price that's outrageously exorbitant and even jerry is like i can't i can't pay that um so super sad ending for bambi uh supposedly he was tortured in jail and they cut off his left hand at some point i don't know why and then on april 13th 1560 he was beheaded yeah and that messed up jerry like a lot like i think the fact that he couldn't help his son yeah and couldn't do anything because I think of like all his kids he loved his first son that like I think Bambi was his son and like we'll we'll talk about Aldo um <laughs> and so I think he was kind of his favorite and so um you know there's all that and then another result of this drama with Bambi is that people didn't really want to associate with Jerry after that because yeah. you know you're the father of a murderer right and so it's just it's just bad it's mm. bad and it's sad for him and it's awful and I mean, you should probably not kill your wife, but I, I you know, I don't know. Like official position. I would say the official position of- Do not poison your wife. Yes, I would say that that's our official position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so he decides he needs to get away from Milan. Yeah. So he ends up in Bologna um, in 1562, which is a 12-hour bike ride from Milan, roughly. Oh, okay, so um, we're, we're getting away. We're getting away. So like a two, three, I would take like probably what, two, three days? traveling back then right probably Probably yeah 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 so farther away like he's trying to distance himself from that um but it's it's like 150 miles southeast of milan okay so he's starting fresh and you know he can leave out the detail about his murderous son you know although if he was as famous as he makes himself be like wouldn't people in bologna have heard about the famous guy whose son murdered his wife I don't know. I guess they didn't have like newspapers then. Yeah, I guess. Seems like word of mouth. I don't know. I I think it would matter who you talk to, but. Like, is there a Renaissance version of TMZ? (laughs) Well, I mean, and because this would have been outside the 30 mile. Well, it wouldn't have been miles. It would have been kilometers. So TKZ. I mean, it would have been outside of it either way. Yeah. Um, But anyway, his crappy, arrogant attitude goes with him uh, to Bologna, and he once again ticks a bunch of people off and makes enemies. 
Nice. And channeling our buddy Paracelsus, he offends professors at Bologna U. Like at least once he pointed out the mistakes of another professor in front of that professor's students. And I got to say the professor, like you don't do that ish. Like that is no. like, you can take someone aside after a lecture and be like, Hey, I think you made a mistake. Like maybe like fix that in your next lecture or whatever. But like, bro, you don't just do that in somebody's lecture. No, it's, it's if just somebody did that to me at school, I would be give them a cake full of arsenic. I wouldn't be baking a cake full of arsenic. Okay. So not that mad. Angry. Somewhere, somewhere yeah. less mad than that, but more angry than, you know, a firm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's super not appropriate. I mean, any academic should, anyone in academia should be able to tell you like, you don't do that, you know? Um, so his colleagues tried to get the Senate to dismiss him from the university because they were just over him, which didn't, didn't Paracelsus have that happen to him too? Didn't they yes. try to get like the gut, like the Senate involved to be like, can we just get rid of him? And they're yes. like, no. Yeah. Okay. And they said, no, we're staying out of it. That yeah. was, that was during the mean tweet poetry on the door right battle Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. okay so now we return to the third and fourth greatest sadnesses of jerry's life um let's talk about the imprisonment and aldo and everything else okay so aldo is also following in his father's footsteps but not a positive way um when i say he was following in his father's footsteps i mean he was a big gambler oh okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) and generally speaking at the time if you're gambling right shady peeps so in yeah. 1569, Aldo gambled away all of his own clothes and possessions and also some of Jerry's money. And I'm picturing Chaucer in the beginning of A Knight's Tale. I, that walking. is literally the first thing I thought of right? when you said that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like he's trudging. He's trudging. He trudge. yeah. mm-hmm. So I picture Aldo trudging with, you know, nothing, you know, gambling. So you lose all that. So that's, that's bad, right? Like not good. Not great. You know, whatever. He then breaks into Jerry's house and oh. stole a bunch of cash and jewelry. Oh my gosh. And Jerry calls the cops. Well, I don't know, you know, whatever they were called. Jerry calls the cops on him and Aldo ends up banished from Bologna. Whoa. Yeah. Which has got to be pretty tough to call the cops on your kid. But like he took his money. Like you can't just be doing that. No. So Jerry, Jerry also disowns him and he, his heir becomes Bambi's oldest son, Fazio. And I don't, I mean, just like some of this stuff made my head hurt because was Fazio, Bambi's son, Fazio actually Bambi's son? Because if he wasn't, then Jerry just adopted some, you know, illegitimate kid as his heir. I don't know. I really don't Super awkward. I just, it's too much. Okay. So anyway, baby Fazio, good for you. You get adopted by your grandfather or not your grandfather, but some dude that has money wants to give you the family name and fortune. So, okay, great. Um, you're a winner either way, you know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, Brandy's family, Brandy's gone. Bambi's gone. So Brandy's family is probably like, we don't want to support these kids. So they probably were like, sure. Yeah. Have them. Like, yeah, I I would say so. Yeah. They probably didn't care. Um, I did read though that Aldo and Jerry had some kind of reconciliation and Aldo confessed that he did a bunch of bad stuff and had been jailed like eight times for all shenanigans and, you know, kind of confessed all that. But anyway, I think there are records of his letters to Jerry about that or whatever, but, um, but, but still he didn't get like back in the will or anything. Um, oh, wow. Baby Fazio stayed the sole heir. I think like there are records of his will being executed and Fazio's the heir and whatever. Okay. Um, so that's what I know about Aldo. So now the year is 1570 and we've reached the portion of his life that I call Jerry in jail. 
Jerry in jail. Okay. Jerry in jail. So on October 6th, 1570, Jerry was arrested and jailed, being accused of heresy. Okay. So here's the thing. I don't know that there's ever like a concrete action or actions specifically that get laid on him for this heresy charge. Mm -hmm. But we've talked about this with the Inquisition in Italy with Galileo. And it's like, Mm-hmm. like that whole reformation thing's happening they're just like out to make examples of people yeah. um of some renown because like i don't know that's what the inquisition did oh you're a famous person uh-huh let's show everybody what we're gonna do you know yeah to be fair i read that jerry might have cast a horoscope of jesus okay so that's <laughs> probably that <laughs> feels, i feel like it's a short step to heresy from jesus's horoscope it feels like not a good thing to do um and then in one place it sounded more like he suggested that he does it but he didn't actually do it but i either way jerry read the room people (laughs) are dying all over the place for this kind of stuff don't do it don't put jesus and horoscope in the same sentence just don't do it don't just don't do it you know Also, did he write in praise of Nero? Uh, yes, Nero. Oh. If, if you don't remember, quick history lesson was a guy that was super horrible to Christians and like put them in the arena to get eaten by lions and like, you know, horrible dude overall, I but remember. also especially to Christians. Yeah. yeah. So not really in the time of the, the Inquisition to be like, hey, you know who was a really great guy? That Nero, man, he ran a tight ship. Let me tell you. Oh, jeez, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> Now, I don't think he, it's not like he was like, hey, I really liked that Nero killed a bunch of Christians, but he found something about Nero's, how he ran, I don't know, to compliment. Again, still, Jerry, I mean, just, bro, just just don't, you know? Okay. He also had put a dialogue in one of his books about the pros and cons of Christianity in comparison with other religions. And we've talked about dialogues before with Galileo, like, Uh Dialogues were a way to say a bunch of controversial things without straight up saying it. But right. if the Inquisition or the book screeners or whatever figured out what you were up to, they were like, um, excuse me, what did you say? No. Right. right. That ended Gal- Galileo had got all kinds of punishments for his dialogue. Right. Right. So, you know, again, I don't know if there's like one specific thing, but it, there were a couple of questionable things in his life that, okay. you know strangely things that did not get mentioned in terms of him getting accused of being a heretic were the whole um interest in the occult not not mentioned in terms of why he could maybe be accused of heresy so figuring out if jesus was an aries (laughs) for sure heresy practicing the occult mm, gray area is that is that a good summary I get, I guess. I mean, okay. so, the, so, okay. To be fair, Jerry was almost 70 at this point and he had never really run afoul of the church in all those years. And, That's amazing. And I, which I guess he managed somehow, I don't know, like a, a miracle. He managed to be humble and submissive enough during his trial. So his punishment was pretty lenient. He stayed in jail a few months and then he was released. Um, and his other, only other punishment really was that he was barred from being a professor ever again. And then, he, and he was told he couldn't publish any more books or writings. Oh, so no. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff that got kind of got like published after, um, right. Because, um, he it was going to get published one way or another. Right. So after this kerfuffle, Jerry heads to Rome where he was actually invited to become, um, a member of the college of physicians there in Rome. Um, and the Pope granted him a pension. So I guess he was forgiven for that whole heresy thing. Okay. The Pope was like, 
hey, um, just don't do any more horoscopes of Jesus, okay? And he's like, okay, cool. I don't know. I, that sounds legit. I mean, how, yeah. many, how many horoscopes did Jesus need anyway? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so this is when he was writing his autobiography, but then that autobiography itself wasn't published until 1643, and it was published in Paris. Because again, he kind of got smacked mm. down from being able to publish. And we talked about this with Galileo. Like if you get in trouble, you don't get things published. Like you have to sneak stuff out of the, out of the state or the, yeah. you know, the area to be able to get it published and stuff. So, right. Yeah. So um, a few fun tidbits. Cause I, again, I did read not the entirety of it, but I did read a lot of the book of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, even at the end, he was still thrown some shade. So like he has a chapter in his book on famous people that wrote about him and he made note of who wrote nicely and who was mean about him. And he wrote of those who have spoken ill of me, I am not aware that one has gone beyond the elements of grammar and cannot understand by what impertinence they have managed to get themselves into the ranks of the learned. I refer to the following. And then he lists out eight people that he applies this to. Wow. And then he mentions five more people who he claimed contradicted him for the sake of making a reputation for themselves. So he said me that's, some. He is the most petty guy we've yeah. ever talked about. He is 70 something being like, oh, you know who else wrote mean tweets about me? This guy and this guy. And guess who else I don't like? These yeah. five guys. Yeah. These people. They're, they're stupid. Wow. Um, so Jerry died on September 20th, 1576. One source I read said he died peacefully, but another source I read said he predicted his death and that he killed himself to make sure his prediction was right. Oh, no. I didn't go down this rabbit hole or try to sort this out. Um, So I don't really know how he died, but that's the end of Jerry. Wow. And he was buried in the church of St. Andrews, but later um, baby Fazio moved his body to Milan and put him next to Papa Fazio in St. Mark's. Nice. Okay. So he was exhumed. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would have been exhumed and moved, but I don't know. I think it was just to move him, not to like, you not know, for do what they did to Tico, yeah, to Tico yeah. Brahe him or anything like that. Okay. So I want to talk really briefly about Kiara. I don't have a lot of information about her because, you know, she was a girl. So she wasn't she's barely worth writing about. I mean, it's a miracle <laughs> she got a name, quite frankly. But she there again, there's like so many like. And when I say I like read these sources, like I'm not reading like, you know, bob's italian history.com or anything like these are real sources but like i read one um like place where she like she supposedly died of syphilis because she was a prostitute and the reason that jerry wrote about his successful treatment of syphilis or why he would care about it was because his daughter had it do you remember um remember when we um, talked about pat getting himself in trouble for being like hey that guiac stuff you're using for the french disease is trash and my mercury is totally the right uh, thing mm-hmm. for like that the right dose it's the only thing will work yeah well jerry claimed that he cured a guy in 80 days like how to lose a guy in 10 days how to cure how to a guy, cure a guy of syphilis in 80 days <laughs> in 80 days using that treatment um that that plant um oh. paracelsus said didn't work but anyway so again if you want to get into jerry's medical writings like he does have writings about this kinds of these kinds of things but oh we just we already had way too much stuff to talk about him, obviously. So, yeah. Anyway, she married a guy named Bartolomeo Sacco, who was, according to Jerry, prosperous and distinguished. And he only mentions in his autobiography that she was barren. And basically the family line was in the hands of the one grandson that he made heir. Because obviously that's what she's good for. Wow. Well, um, I mean, 
But then I read this other article that was like a lot of terrible things get said about Kiara, but there's really no evidence other than like one or two very ambiguous sentences and letters or something. So anyway, there's a little bit of mystery kind of surrounding her, but I have a feeling people just said, you know, probably people don't like Jerry. So they're like, Hey, let's talk trash about his family. I mean, given that his one son was a murderer, his other son was a thief. I guess it makes sense to slow his daughter's a prostitute, you know, syphilis. Yeah prostitute with syphilis you know I don't yeah. know people are the worst yeah um so one more little thing about Jerry there's so many but um apparently again upstanding member of the church until he was a heretic mm-hmm. but he was super big into the occult um because you know casting horoscopes and stuff so he also cast the horoscope of Martin Luther he was super into divination and such, and he actually claimed to be the inventor of a type of divination called metoposcopy, which is where you decide things about a person's fate based on their face, lines on the forehead, warts, and so forth. So he like wrote 13 books on this topic. And one of the things that he wrote was like, a woman with a wart upon her left cheek, a little to the left of the dimple will eventually be poisoned by her husband. Did Bandy's wife, Brandy, have a mole? Like, is that, I mean, that's a real, that's a little bit on the nose for me, you know? Well, yeah, right. But what I thought was really interesting, because they can't say I'm a fan of the occult and divination, but um, Jerry gets credit um, as a predecessor of Lombroso, who apparently is a guy that proposed like psychiatric theories about criminal types. Um, Do you encounter this, this stuff in your true crime? Like, well, like when you said that you could tell things about someone by looking at their face, there was that whole um, science of dealing with like you would look at the bumps on someone's head yeah, and be like, oh, well, because of this bump here and this bump here, you're definitely the axe murderer that we're looking for, you know, and it's right. it's total garbage science. But it yeah. sounds like what Jerry did was took like what people who read palms okay. do. Yeah. And, like and translated it to faces. Yeah. And then that, that morphed into the science of <laughs> head bumps and, yeah. and, and they did use that as an early detector for, Oh, well, look at that. Look at that sloping forehead. Mm, well, murderer he wrote for 13 sure. books on the topic. So yeah. I guess he, I didn't. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, even though he's dabbling in the occult or not even really dabbling, he wanted to make sure people didn't think he was, uh, you know, riding an inexplicably white horse of satan or whatever you know so he he clarified i have not attempted that kind of magic which seeks by incantations to evoke demons or recall the souls of the dead like you know i've got standard like i don't want to talk to the devil or bring people back from the dead so clearly it's not that bad it's totally fine um i did i read too like one horoscope he cast was for edward the sixth which um that was the son of henry the eighth yeah um and jerry predicted a long life and talked about all these diseases he would have when he was 34 and 55 and mm. you know edward edward kicked the bucket at 16 so yes, he did. Um, so swinging yeah. a miss there jerry so I'm, I'm not sure how good he was at the whole horoscope thing um but yeah so there's all kinds of fun facts in his in his autobiography like he was afraid of heights and also of places where there is any report of mad dogs having been seen like that's a very specific thing to be afraid of like very like was he very specifically afraid of rabies or just very specifically he didn't elaborate he he did not elaborate he just was afraid of 
places where there is any report of mad dogs having been seen. Wow, that's that is very specific. Yeah. Anyway, there's there's all kinds of stuff in his book like that. But yeah, um, that's Jerry's life. It's kind of ridiculous. It's amazing. It's exactly what we would expect from a BA. True. Um, but I also, although I avoided most of it, think there's even some tea when we get to his science. So, oh my goodness. I have a mini brawl for you today. I'm going to need the tea. Oh, you're going to get it. Let's take a break and then I'll tell you all about it. Okay, Brenna, we need to take a minute to tell everybody about Proton Guru and the MCAT ladder. Yeah, we definitely do. It's really great. The whole idea of Proton Guru is academic accessibility. So at protonguru.com, you can find a free full organic chemistry course, a free MCAT organic course, and diversity modules related to organic chemistry. The cool new thing that just got added might be the best part though. It's called MCAT Ladder, and it's an MCAT test prep course like no other. It's prepared by a group of passionate faculty who really wanted to keep costs low. The big thing about the program, though, is how thorough it is with exceptional concept explanations and visual learning, plus questions that are challenging like real MCAT questions. The MCAT ladder is only $500. And if that's not enough, they have a scholarship program, too. So go on over to protonguru.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's there. With MCAT ladder, it's all about reaching down to help others climb up, which is a very badass thing to do. Okay, it's my turn. I'm going to get into Jerry's math, which, I mean, I know this is BA in science, but math is the original scientific discipline, which I will not debate with anyone, just in case anyone wants to know. So let's talk about Jerry. Um, he was a gambler. And mm -hmm. as Brenna kind of mentioned before, Jerry did not at all know when to hold them, nor did he know when to fold them. <laughs> <laughs> gambling was his major vice and it pretty much affected like there is not an aspect of his life that it did not affect hmm. so I'm going to focus for a minute on the world of gaming as it was during Jerry's time for part of my discussion on his maths because it's important and then for the other part it's I, I promised a I teased a like mini brawl and there is one and it's related to the other part of math that he worked in which was algebra it's okay. very fun. Okay, today in the United States, you go to Vegas for the best gambling. Mm -hmm. And you can gamble in other states legally, yes. But Las Vegas, Nevada is the reputation, has the reputation for being a city for gamblers. Mm -hmm. If you want to lose money, go there. Well, I mean, you could also win, but probably not because that's gambling. Have you now, ever been to a casino? Yes. Okay. Have you ever been to a casino? I have. I've been in Reno. Oh, no. I was at a casino in Indiana. Oh, it was not. wonderful. I had $5. I was at a convention for something. And oh. like part of my ticket was $5 at the casino. Hmm. It was the fastest $5 I've ever spent and won absolutely nothing. Casinos make me feel sad. Reno made me feel sad. I'm not the kind of person I'll think to go to Vegas. Anyway, no, like I didn't have super fun. Like I like the, the it was like, why are why are you making happy sounds and noises when I've obviously lost five dollars? This is not <laughs> my brain is not putting those two together. It was like I would never I have no I have no desire to go back. 
Oh, see, I'm the person who like we would be heading through the the casino because we were staying at the casino too. So like it was the morning and because my husband was there for a bowling thing. So we were like heading out in the morning to go over to where he was supposed to bowl. And like, you see the people that you're pretty sure were there at 11 o'clock last night when you headed up to your room and they're like still there. And it's just depressing. It's like sad. Yeah. It just makes me feel sad. It's very, also, it's very, I don't like the no clock thing. I know why they do it, but I don't like, the I no don't clock like it. Thing. No, it's not. I don't like yeah. it. Anyway, continue. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, gambling gambling makes a lot of people feel sad for most of the time. Like that's what we're going to find out here. And, and like you mentioned Reno, I mentioned Las Vegas, uh, and Indiana, like, again, there are places to gamble, but it wasn't always confined to certain places. Mm -hmm. There's this guy named, I think his name is Oystein Ore or, or not sure how to say his name. Okay. But he wrote a book called Cardano, the gambling scholar which was one of my main sources, which was an absolutely fascinating little book that I'm so glad I found. It was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And he actually made a really good point in his book. And he wrote this like more than 50 years ago, but I think it's still relevant today. He said, quote, today, when life is under the impact of entertainment in all forms, it may perhaps be a little difficult to visualize the extent to which games dominated social life in medieval and Renaissance times, end quote. I think he's right. It until I read that sentence, it had never occurred to me that gambling was more ubiquitous in the past because it was a form of entertainment when there weren't many forms of entertainment. Yeah. For example, chess, one of Jerry's specialties, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. We think of chess now as a intellectual game for smart people and whatever but back when jerry was around people played for money as a rule it was chess for money and Mm. it was played faster and more intensely than it is today it Mm. was like lightning round chess because i mean (laughs) the more games you play the more you have a chance to win right right so you didn't want a game that was going to take six hours you were Mm. just like i don't know i got 15 minutes let's play chess some of the pieces like even would have handicaps to hmm. even so so like you would have you would know going into the game that your bishop had a handicap on it because you're not as good as the person you're sitting across from so that you weren't totally mm. outmatched okay huh. so yeah they had all these very interesting rules about it jerry was actually known to be an awesome chess player and it, it it's believed in a couple of my sources they it was pretty consistent Chess was probably the game that most of his gambling income came from because he did make quite a lot of money at gambling. Probably, probably by the time he died, he was in the black slightly, just slightly. Okay. Not, not, not having lost everything from gambling, but he lost all the time. That's part of gambling, right? Right. And because Jerry talked about his struggles with gambling. Right. He, He talked about it all the time, all the time. So it's no surprise that the book he wrote on it called The Book on Games of Chance is considered a gambler's handbook. Hmm. So Jerry's little book and and the Oystein, I don't know know how to say it, in the that guy's book, Mm -hmm. he had had a translated copy in the back of it. Oh, okay. His original, yeah. So I got to see like his 
like the the book on games of chance is gambler's handbook in okay. included in this book which was oh yeah i read that source too i remember seeing it but i avoided it because it wasn't my it wasn't your area. thing yeah yeah so this book that he wrote contains rules for a whole bunch of games and advice from an experienced gamester such as jerry he had lots of warnings to give about shady gambling practices like marked cards or loaded dice because he'd seen it all Mm-hmm. He consistently says that playing for small amounts of money is really not a big deal, but large amounts of money take the relaxation and fun out and it becomes torture. So he was well aware of the perils of gambling addiction, which is very easy to fall into because it mm-hmm. is, it's always about just one more, one more score, one more card, one more, whatever, and I'll be fine. I'll mm-hmm. be even again. And it never happens that you always end up throwing more money away. And he was very aware of that. And so gambling for high stakes was not his jam. He wanted to play, you know, dice for his not, not, you know, a month's pay. It was, you know, right. A couple of ducats or whatever they were using at the time. You know what I mean? Florence? No, Florence? I don't know. It wasn't in Florence. I don't know. Anyway. Don't know. What did they use? Outside? Okay. We talked about some money with Galileo. No, I can't remember. Anyway. I, I don't know. Whatever. Either way, it was a small amount. So in Jerry's book, he covers four categories of games, chess, table games, cards, and dice. And I've already mentioned chess, and we know that chess is not a purely chance-based game. There is a lot of skill involved. Right. When we think of gambling, we think of games of chance. And in medieval times, dice were the most common way to lose money. And the game was probably hazard. And so if you've ever played Hazard or if you've ever played at Hazard, then this will be a review for you. But, and there's a lot of different rules. There's a lot of different ways to play Hazard. Hazard was featured in, if you have ever seen a movie with pirates in it, they are probably playing Hazard at some point. Any dice game that pirates are playing in popular culture is Hazard. When um, in Pirates of the Caribbean, Uh when Will plays dice, it's 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 a form of Hazard. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. The, the most common rules though, like the, the like standard hazard rules though, most likely Mm. resemble like modern day craps. Okay. So if you roll the goal number, you win. If you roll too low, you lose. If you roll too high, you lose or whatever, that kind of thing. So you've got chess on one hand, which is almost completely skill. And you've got dice on the other hand, which involves absolutely no skill whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And between that, you've got, um, Jerry called it, it would have been table games, which are, which is backgammon. Okay. The game is played on a certain gaming table. This was before board games. So okay. ta- it, it's it, table games. Now we would think of like Monopoly, which oh. is something you should never gamble on. But like at the time <laughs> it was because every, listen. I have never played a game of Monopoly that has not ended in tears and a flipped table. So <laughs> I'm just saying. That's not true. I don't remember us crying every time we played it. How many times do you remember playing it? Not very many because it's not fun. Anyone who thinks <laughs> Monopoly is fun is probably a sociopath. <laughs> I know it's a hot take, but I, I said what I That's said. That's a very hot take. But I okay. said what I said. Okay. All right. I heard it. Anyway, backgammon is the table game that he's talking about. Um, in like all of the, all of the table games he talks about are varieties of backgammon. And it's, it's honestly, backgammon is one of the most ancient games that we know of. There are very few that are more ancient than that. And so backgammon is a thing where you've got like, it's like the pointy table. There's a whole bunch of like triangle looking things and you throw dice and you have to move pieces and whatever. 
Do you know how to play backgammon? I have played it before. Yes. I mean, oh. it's one of those games that you like, I would, I need to play it frequently to remember the ins and outs and the rules and that kind of thing. But yes, I do know how to, yeah. I have played it before. I do know how to play it. It's fine. I prefer Senate or Moncala. If we're going to p- pl- talk about ancient table games, I would prefer mm. Senate, Ooh, which Moncala. is Egyptian yeah. and Moncala, which is also from Africa and yeah. other places, other places played it too. But anyway, there was, I wish I should have done a mini episode on ancient games and the history of games because it's fascinating. And I guess I can still do that. I can still do whatever I want, but there's some fascinating stuff out there about games. Okay. Anyway, I digress. In contrast to the ancientness of backgammon, which Mm -hmm. is a blend of skill and luck, like it's luck because it's dice, but there's skill because you have to move your pieces a certain way, like, and make good choices. So card games are another like blend of skill and luck. You have to play the right cards, but you don't have to get the right cards. Right. Card games are relatively young in Jerry's time. They only got popular in Europe about a hundred years before he was around. Hmm. Well, and it makes sense because paper was expensive for a really long time. And like holding a stack of stone tablets with numbers chiseled (laughs) on them doesn't feel like, (laughs) like that's not a thing I want to do, you know? Yes. So uh, Jerry probably played, if he was playing cards, he probably gave, played a game called Primero, which is a faster version of poker. It's basically what we know as poker. Okay. A standard, like five card draw. Okay. Poker. Okay. So the part that's most interesting in his gambling book from a science and math perspective, which is why we're talking about this at all, is that yeah. it's the first text on the theory of probability. I found in my research that the overwhelming majority of writers ignore Jerry completely and start the history of probability a hundred years later with Pascal. I, based on what you said during his biography, I know Mm -hmm. why this is the case. Oh, Jerry's book. And I didn't know this when, when I wrote my notes for this, I did not Mm -hmm. know this, but then you said something and it was like, oh, this is why. Remember there was that moratorium on publishing. Yeah. Okay. So his book wasn't published until like the 1600s. Oh. So he was, he was, and, and so by, by that time, Pascal and whatever, they had been doing it too, but Jerry's oh. work predated that. It just didn't get out okay. there. Right. So, uh, and also to be fair, like symbols and math at this time weren't standardized. People were still kind of all over the place with it. So oh. understanding what he wrote if you were Pascal and you were looking at Jerry's work, you were like, I don't even know what this means. So you might've had some duplicating of work just because Uh the symbols were not the same, but they were saying the same thing. Okay. And probability didn't even have a name at this time. That wasn't what it was called. He didn't talk about, he didn't use the word probability. That's not what we, that didn't get that name right then. Okay. And so he was doing stuff with different methods but without discussing the methods, it's very confusing. So let me do a brief overview of the math that's in Jerry's gambling book. Okay. Okay. And Jerry starts with dice. On one die, there are six sides and six equally likely cases. P.S. I'm going to be using modern terminology because his is confusing to me. So I'm using modern terminology. Okay, so one dice, six sides, six equally likely outcomes. 
Okay. Then he levels up to two dice and shows that the total possibility of outcomes of rolling two dice is 36 or six times six. I'll talk about that in a minute. Three dice is six times six times six or 216 equally likely cases total. So let's call C the total number of options. Okay. So when you roll two dice, can you get a one? No. Can you get a two? Yeah, there's one way to get a two. Okay. How many ways are there to get a three, two, a one and a two or a two and a one? But are those okay. really different? Let's talk about it, okay? okay? C is the total number of options. F is the number of ways you can get what you're looking for. So probability P equals the number of ways you can get what you're looking for divided by the total number. That is the exact equation that we use today for basic probability and Jerry was writing about it yeah, he, he was the one who, he had that exact thing written in his book. Let's say that we're rolling two die, one's red and one's green. Okay. How many ways can the red and green die give you eight? Well, you can get a two and a six, a three and a five, mm -hmm. four and four, mm -hmm. and then a four and a four, a five and a three, and a six and a two. How about a four and four is different? Okay, it doesn't matter. Stick with me here, okay? All I know, right. I know why you're making that face. I know, I know, I know, because the four plus four, it's only five. I know, yeah. I know. Okay, fine. All right, all right, fine. We'll go with it. Go with it. Because here's what Jerry says. The total different number of throws is 36. So the probability of throwing an eight is six out of 36 or one six. How many ways are there to get a two? Well, you can get a one and a one or a one and a one. So that's two out of 36 or one out of 18. How are the ones different? I know I had, I had this, as I was reading this, I I'm making like, faces. You guys can't see, but I'm making a lot of faces at Maggie right now, because again, as I've mentioned, I know that math isn't my favorite thing, but I just, it just, it, okay. All right. I know. I know. Cause so I was reading this. And I was like, but the one and the one and the one and the one, that's one possibility. There's one way to get a two. Yeah. I, okay. Okay. Um, but, right. but the reason that none of this matters Okay. Oh, none. Okay. Here's the reason that none of this matters okay. because it's clearly more likely that you'll get an eight than a two. So betting sure. on an eight is a smarter bet. That's, that's what we can see here. Betting on a two super risky. Okay. Okay. But it's more complicated and more simple than that because the, the, the die aren't two different colors usually. Right. Okay. They're just rolling white dice or red or whatever. Like they're, they're the same color and it doesn't matter which die shows a two and which shows a six, any okay. combination of two and six gives you eight. So instead of six ways to get eight or five, which is what we really have, you actually right. have three because two and six and six and two, okay. it's the same. same. Got it. Okay. okay. So instead of 36 total outcomes, you really have half that, which is 18. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so the probabilities in that case are going to change a little bit, but the idea behind the betting is the same. It's still going to okay. be more likely that you're going to get an eight right. than a two. Okay. Okay. So again, the probability, the exact percentage or per fraction or number will change, but the mm -hmm. reality remains. You're still, it's still a better bet than two. Okay. So this whole thing where it's like, does it matter what, which is which, or does it not matter which is which? This is the difference between permutations and combinations. With Are permutations a thing with the exclamation mark? Yes. Permutations and combinations. These involve factorials, which is where you okay. have a really excited number, like a five with an exclamation mark after it. 
which you look, I know math. Okay. You do. You are have a passing familiarity with mathematical notation. So a five with an exclamation mark after it means one times two times three times four times five. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what that means. So that's what you see a lot in permutations and combinations. So with permutations, it's every single way you can arrange them. So yes. two and six and six and two are distinct. With combinations, it's how many distinct ways are there. So two and six and six and two are the same. Okay. At because think of it this way: at the craps table, the boxman, which is the guy who's running the game, mm -hmm. I looked it up. That's his name. He's the boxman. Oh. He doesn't say, "Oh my gosh, die one was a two and die two is a six. No, he just sees a six and a two or a two and a six and says eight winner. Hopefully, you hope that he says that right. Mm -hmm. But despite this funny little trick of probabilities, the likelihood of each of the numbers relative to each other with the dice stays the same. Eight is still more likely than two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So Cardano went into excruciating detail about all of this. And I'm not going to go into any more detail because okay. what I talked about barely scratches the surface of, because the, then you get into probability and you get into game theory, but the stuff that he set down, these basics that I covered, that's the basis for probability theory today. It has not changed. It's not different. Okay. All right. So he discussed probabilities like this for many of the games he discusses in his book. It's not just dice. I mean, I started with the hazard, but he discussed table games because dice are involved and he gets into card games a little bit. Card games require luck and skill. Remember, like I said, and dice just needs luck. So mm -hmm. there are some more things to factor in, but knowing the odds, the probability mm -hmm. that you have of guessing successfully what the dice will show or which card uh, you will have it makes you better, get it, better, mm -hmm. a better gambler. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Puns. Oh, puns. And Cardano was very good at knowing that. So knowing those probabilities certainly made him a better gambler. Right. Okay. Got it. Full disclosure, probability was the most difficult class I took in college math. And I am oh. not a fan at all of it. Oh. <laughs> I completely hate the mental gymnastics required to do probability. Okay. But as a mathematician, I can appreciate Jerry's skill with probabilities and how he understood permutations and combinations and all of those kind of things. So okay. I like, I think I just had a bad experience with it early on in my <laughs> math career. And then like, it's, it's obviously much like Jerry was afraid of places that might have had a mad dog at it at some point. <laughs> I have a thing about probabilities, probably from a childhood incident. Okay. I don't know that I've obviously repressed. Okay. So I told you that he is like the dude when it comes to probabilities. Why have you never heard of him? As I said, many, many historian, many histories on probability don't mention him at mm -hmm. all. Besides the fact that his work didn't get published until later mm -hmm. what other reasons could there be for a guy's work having a little bit of a stain on it besides mm. heresy hmm, mm. i don't know maybe if some of that work was stolen and or plagiarized oh oh boy well let's talk about let's talk about algebra now because okay that might be the uh, the uh, the question of stolen or plagiarized may have something to do with it oh boy so here's a little bit more, here's the background. Let's, let's set the scene here, okay, with Jerry. 
he didn't just write about probability. He wrote a book and published it in 1545 called Ars Magna, which is usually called the rules of algebra, but the actual translation of those words is great art, which algebra totally is. I don't care what you think. There's lots <laughs> of stuff in it, as you would expect in an algebra book. Um, notice, notably, he does a lot of his work without a deep understanding of negative numbers, but he was able to use them in a systematic way. He calls them fictitious, not to mm. be confused with imaginary, which is something else completely that we're going to talk about shortly. Okay. It actually wasn't until 1572 that negatives were really well understood and had rules and stuff. Okay. I mean, of, I mean, of course, they were all over the place before then, back in ancient China and India. Like, it's not that negatives didn't exist, but there weren't right. rules and language to discuss them until just after Cardano's time. Okay. So, because like you wouldn't, they didn't even have zero for a really long time. How do you really? count? How do you count no cows? I don't know. They had to figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> That's how numbers developed. That's like I have two cows. He has three cows. Together we can have five cows. Like that's how counting you could count. It was counting numbers. We don't count zero. Nobody cares if you have zero cows. So, you know, and nobody count negative cows wasn't even a thing. Like like <laughs> it's it's it wasn't tangible. So you didn't have you know what I'm saying. So anyway, eventually. Oh negatives are a more abstract idea but they had rules and language and all that so it does make his work pretty amazing considering that he didn't have negatives to deal with okay also of note is that his book ars magna is the first time that a complex number showed up i hate those things okay uh, many of my students do as well <laughs> Let's discuss what they are. I, I don't have like, I'm ambivalent about uh, like uh, complex numbers are a fact of mathematical life. I don't have any ne negative or positive feelings toward them. See, the way I feel about complex numbers and imaginary, you know, things, it's like in physical chemistry, they're like, oh, this transition is forbidden. And you're like, Ooh, forbidden. It sounds really cool. And then they're like, well, I mean, it's like weekly allowed. I'm like, well, then, then that's not forbidden. That's, not that's forbidden. very misleading. So I just feel like it's similar. Like imaginary number, like, are they real? Or are they not real? I don't know. So the I confuses me. Are we talking about I? Isn't, isn't, isn't this? Yes, I'm going to talk. Let me, for, for people who do not, who hate math okay. even more than the average person or even more than Brenda does who has a PhD in chemistry, you know, a complex number is a real number plus an imaginary one. So let's discuss imaginary numbers. Cause you brought them, you brought it up. We have to talk about okay, it. Okay. 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 What's the square root of four. If you said two, you get half credit because it's two and negative two. So finding a square root involves finding a number that when you multiply it by itself gives you the original number. So two right. times two is four. Yes. But it's also true of negative. Negative right. two times negative two is also four. Right. Let's take the square root of a negative number. Mm. Square root of negative four. Mm -hmm. Remember, I just told you that we need a number that when you multiply it by itself, you get the original number. What number can you multiply by itself and get a negative? Don't There's strain no. yourself. Yeah. There isn't one. No, th no, that's not a thing. You can't multiply two and negative two and get negative four because two and negative two are different numbers. They have different right. values. Okay. Sure. So that doesn't work. So 
Why is this important? You may be wondering. Eventually, Descartes comes along and gives us the Cartesian coordinate plane, and he starts putting all of these equations on a graph. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have a graph called a parabola, you know, that U shape. Mm -hmm. We talked about it with mm -hmm. Hypatia. Sometimes yes. that graph is floating up and up above the x-axis. It doesn't at mm -hmm. any point ever cross the, the horizontal line that we call the x-axis. Mm -hmm. But there are still values that would make that equation true, but they're not okay. tangible because they don't cross the x-axis, they're imaginary. You can not okay. like it, but they're, they're there. And you, if you don't like it, you could talk to Descartes about it because technically this whole thing is his fault. Well, okay. Anyway. Okay. I mean, so, why do you just like, just don't take a square root of a negative number. It's that solves not, the problem. No, refusing to take the square root of a <laughs> negative number <laughs> brings up a whole different set of problems. Oh my gosh. Okay, fine. Okay. Just stick with me here. I'm going to pretend that everyone out there listening is as fascinated by this as I am and are not <laughs> making the faces that you're making right now. Okay, so this is a problem that obviously requires some ingenuity because we have to have an answer. That's what math is. Thus, our imaginary numbers born. Mm -hmm. The square root of negative one is an imaginary number. It's given a special name. Its name is I for imaginary, obviously. Long story short, this is what I was trying to explain before. Quadratic equations in the form ax squared plus bx equals c don't always have nice, neat solutions. Messy solutions, and they are messy, but they involve i. So a complex number is one with the real part and a part with an i. Like, like, I mean like the letter i, not an eyeball, okay? Right. So for example, <laughs> yeah. two plus three i is a complex number. Okay, so. That's gross number. It, well, it's complex. It's literally complex. <laughs> So to bring it back to Jerry, he okay. had a problem that he was working on in his Ars Magna that involved the square root of negative 15. And everything I just told you about didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. So he was like, um, this has no, this is a quote. This has no physical meaning. Nevertheless, we will operate. But the answer is as subtle as it is useless. So he didn't <laughs> think it was that great either. But he was like, I got this thing that I don't want to deal with, but I'm going to do a thing that will make it go away. So whatever. <sighs> Jerry, you just, you just ignore it. Just don't do it. it. He couldn't, and I'll tell you why. Ars Magna starts out with all of this stuff, linear equations and quadratics, which is x squared and all that. But then Jerry gets into brand new territory, solving cubic, which is x to the third, and even quartic, which is x to the fourth equations. Mm -hmm. Until... Uh, like 1630s and Descartes was in the 1630s until okay. that was all happening Jerry's work was the text you wanted if you wanted to learn algebra oh yes Descartes stuff replaced a lot of Ars Magna and he obviously okay. would have been well aware of Ars Magna okay okay so his work uh, Ars Magna is also important because it put math back into science okay kind of changed the Renaissance and the entire Western way of approaching science because then Newton could do, then Newton could be like, there's a science mm. that I need math for. I'm going to invent my own. And then he did. And Cardano was like, no, no, no. Yeah, we should do that before Newton was doing his stuff. Okay. Okay. So his book, Ars Magna, gets mentioned in the same breath as Copernicus' book on heavenly spheres. Mm. 
and Vesalius' book on the human body. Uh, but the whole part about the cubics, which is the stuff that makes this book like the big deal that it is, is mm-hmm. a bit of an issue. Okay. Uh, the, there is a very big scandal surrounding the cubics in Jerry's mm. book, and it tarnished his reputation significantly. Okay, well, now you have my attention. Okay, here's the story. The brawl in brief. Jerry was friends with a guy named Niccolo Tartaglia. Okay, probably not friends. Friends is probably a strong word. But they traveled together to Florence, and they were kind of colleagues. They both did math. Okay. But Nick could not be more different than Jerry, who was a known and respected scholar, philosopher, doctor. Remember, he had that rock star period. This was during that time. Okay. Okay. Nick was none of those things. We don't even know his real last name. Tartaglia. Oh. I called him Nick Niccolo Tartaglia. Tartaglia oh. is a nickname and it means the stutterer. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's totally reasonable that he stuttered because at the age of 12, he was wounded by a sword cut when soldiers raided the town he lived in and his jawbone was split. And his mom basically put him back together and nursed him back to health and kept him from dying of infection. So that's all kind of very B.A., Oh, wow. But of course he stuttered. Like, of course he had a speech impediment after that. Like, you know, is these, are these, these great Italian wars thingies that are happening? I suspect. Yes. I suspect that's what it was. Yeah. Now he managed to become something of a mechanical engineer and a good mathematician, despite the stutter, Nick and another mathematician named Fior were fighting probably about who was a better mathematician or something. Cause that's, they fought about stuff like that all the time. Right. So they were, they were like, let's settle it with a contest because they were dudes. Okay. And well, unfortunately it wasn't like punching each other in the face kind of contest, <laughs> but this is like the mathematical equivalent of punching each other in the face. The, so, the nerd punching. This is, okay. yeah, no, let's be specific. It's dudes. Okay. 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 Women didn't get involved in this kind of business. <laughs> Nick and Fior would each write 30 problems for each other and seal them up and then have the envelope notarized. Like they were taking this to court. This was an official document. Okay. So someone was going to, can you imagine if someone went, because our mom's a notary. So could you imagine if someone went to mom and was like, hey, you're a notary. Can you signify that I wrote these math problems? I just need your little, get your seal, get your little stamper out. Like it would be insane, but that's what they did. Okay. So they got their little envelopes notarized and they exchanged them. And they were going to open the envelopes and solve the problems given to them by the other person. Whoever solved more problems in 40 days was the winner. So they get their envelopes and it's reported to Fior that Nick solved all the problems in two hours. Okay. And Fior is like, that's super sus. (laughs) And Nick's like, no, 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 I really did it. Fior had given him 30 problems that related to solving cubics because Fior insisted that there wasn't a general solution or formula to doing it. Like, because uh, with, with quadratics, there is a general formula and solution. Mm-hmm. And, and Fior was like, can't do that for cubics. And Niccolo was like, yeah, huh. And Fior said, nah, and now we're here with notarized math problems. Okay. So Jokes on Fior because Nick had found just such a solution written by Scipio Faro about 30 years before all this was taking place. Okay. So he really did solve these problems and Fior okay. was not happy. Oh, but Nick, okay. Nick had used this other guy's work to do it. Okay. 30 year old work. Okay. Okay. 
Jerry hears about Nick's success and he sends him a message begging for the solution, but Nick doesn't want it published under anyone's name but his own and he's not ready to publish it yet because he's a diva. And there's some back and forth and eventually Nick visits Jerry and they come to an agreement. Okay. Jerry gets the general general solution to AX cubed plus BX plus C equals zero that will help solve a whole bunch of cubics. So they reach the agreement. He's got the solutions or the the general solution. Uh But in working his problems and working on the proof, Jerry gets stuck. And so he writes Nick a letter asking for help. Okay. And so Nick in his documentation wrote himself a note saying, I propose to see whether I can perhaps alter the data he possesses and turn him from the right track. Which is super shady, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> like, he's asking you for help. And you already gave him the solution. Like, what are oh, you doing? Man. Okay. So Nick's just like, I'm not telling him. But Jerry figured it out anyway. And oh. and published Ars Magna. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nick sees it and is like, um, excuse me, WTF. <laughs> and Jerry's like, what? And Nick's like, you pinky swore you wouldn't publish my solution <laughs> to Cubics. And you did. Ugh. And Jerry's like, bro, did you not see I gave you credit? Look, right there, it says I got this from Nikki T, NBD, <laughs> whatever. And Nick's like, that's not the point. This work was mine and it was secret and you promised I could publish it first. And Jerry's like, whatever, dude. But Nick wouldn't let it go. And Jerry's a busy guy. He's got things to do, places to go, people to see, right? Mm-hmm. So a guy named Ferrari, one of Jerry's students, dealt with the dispute at this point on because Nick is not happy. Okay. Ferrari writes Nick on Jerry's behalf and is like, you dragged my bro in public. Now the gloves are off, Buster. (laughs) They write each other nasty letters for a while. And finally, Nick agrees to a public debate with Ferrari about this whole issue wherein, guess what they'll do? Oh boy. mm -hmm, Give each other math problems, which is an absolutely fascinating and ridiculous way to settle a dispute but whatever and ferrari ends up winning i don't know what it proved but they do know that the fallout was that jerry's reputation was a bit bruised and it put some of his other work into a bad light hmm. so who is right did jerry steal from him i mean he gave nick credit here's hmm. here's here's the rest of the story upon okay. further research from things going on at the time okay Nick was probably in the wrong here. Jerry was probably okay. Remember, the solution that he had discovered was 30 years old and wasn't even his. It's not like it was his intellectual property. They didn't have that back then, but that's what it boils down to. So when Jerry discovered that, he was probably like, oh, this isn't a new thing. I'll publish it and just give him credit. It'll be fine. And I think I agree with Jerry because then there was this whole question of like, did he take an oath? Cause like I said, pinky swore, but it was kind of that kind of like thing. Like I swear on the head of my children that I will not, or some such thing like that, which maybe uh-huh. if he did make that uh, oath, I mean, <laughs> I mean, considering what happened to his kids, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but oath or not, Nick can't forbid Jerry from publishing another guy's work, even though he got it from Nick. True. And if Nick wouldn't have dragged his feet, he could have just published it and he would have been famous. Oh yeah, that's true too. I feel like he made his choices. At any rate, Jerry demonstrated often and thoroughly that he was an excellent mathematician. So despite this blip in his career, I really do believe that his 
other contributions make him a very important mathematician and a total BA. Why didn't this other guy who wrote the thing about cubics 30 years ago get any credit for it? They lost it in the library with some monks. Oh, no, they did not. I swear. Yes. Yeah, that's really true. Like, because he was, they were in a monastery or a university or something. And there was like, oh. this, they're like, oh yeah, we were storing it here when someone brought it to us from a monastery. Like, I don't know, but they're like, I don't know, it's back there in that pile somewhere. Or they didn't know about it. He was going through other things and it fell down. It was like, ooh, what's this? And like, this is cool. And just didn't tell anybody about it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing's very murky, very gray, very much gray area. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all Nick would have had to do is just publish it. Like when you just publish it, buddy. But he didn't. Right. So, so I think that that's why some of his other, some of his math work, you know, and he wasn't allowed to publish. So right. it was kind of a perfect storm of badness there at the end that caused him to not get credit until, I mean, even now it's hard to find something that starts the history of probability theory in the 1500s with Jerry. Mostly it starts in the 1600s with pa Pascal, Blaise Pascal, who was oh, a French mathematician. Okay. okay. So, so yeah. Hmm. So, but that's what I got for you on Jerry and his math and probability cool i mean i know it wasn't i know it was painful for you because it was very math heavy today but he was a mathematician i mean we talked about pirates i did mention pirates that's true so i mean you know a loss yeah and petty people being petty is always you know always I good mean, we're always here for that like the, the whole point of this podcast is the petty people are going to be petty like that's you right. know we're here for that yeah. well let's take a quick break and we'll talk about Jerry's legacy. Let's talk legacy. Jerry lived a wild life, one mm -hmm. of the more colorful that we've had. Mm -hmm. That's uh, true. But besides strong warnings not to gamble to excess, which is, as they say in the gambling world, very sound advice. Mm -hmm. What else did he leave us? Um, well, you know, I literally... I mean, this mm -hmm. feel like Jerry literally was a Renaissance man. I mean, yeah, he was living in the time of the Renaissance, but I mean, sure. he was in all kinds of things and we didn't talk about it. Like he was a doctor. He was a mathematician. He was actually into philosophy. He was into the occult, astrology, astronomy. He was into music and history dreams. He wrote like a lot about dreams and I, he's just all over the place. So, you know, I do love a good Renaissance man. Yeah, you know, in the broad sense, and he was one. You're right, and I think that that alone makes him BA to me. I read that his books were some of the best read, most read, and most pirated works in the 16th century. Oh, pirated! If that's not flattery. I don't know what is. Yeah, um, he had over 130 printed works and over 100 unpublished or unfinished works. Also, he said in his, again, in his autobiography, he burned 170 manuscripts, which I find to be really strange because why did you burn them? Okay. I have, okay. I have a theory. He, he considered them useless. So he just burned them. Yeah. I have a theory. Some painters and artists do that. Mm -hmm. They, they, there are some artists that will go through the work that they do and they will quite literally burn it because they it 
it's not that they're useless useless is probably the best word but like calling calling your catalog or calling your works is like a thing that artists do and there mm -hmm. were lots of artists running around in the renaissance so like maybe it was like an artistic thing like well if artists burn their stuff that they don't think is good i'm gonna burn my stuff that i don't think is good or that i don't need anymore you know so it could have been okay. that all right fair enough it's just it's strange it is strange um, because just save it dude like what's the big deal i know obviously i mean algebra i'll admit algebra seems like kind of an important thing you know i mean so you you probably use it accidentally at least once a day oh no i mean i use it on purpose at least once a day when i even well, yeah but that doesn't count do that doesn't count well okay but still i appreciate algebra and i understand whatever um so you know thanks for that jerry um and yeah i don't know he he was such he's such an interesting character because like he's a jerk and kind of crappy, but then he had a lot of crappy things happen in his life. So you kind of feel bad for I don't know. I don't I know, know. Like and he's There's so much weird, weird dude to, to decide how to feel about him. Because like with Paracelsus, it was like he this guy is just so ridiculous. Like I just <laughs> I love him because he's ridiculous. Yeah. But you could say, well, he's just a jerk and he's ridiculous. But I don't know. Jerry had such ups and downs. He did. He's very, and no pun intended, he is very complex. <laughs> he really is. And and knowing more of the story of his life and some of the, like, that the wars were going on and yeah. that his kids had a lot of drama and that yeah. he, for whatever reason, considered one of his greatest tragedies his marriage. I mean, <laughs> I feel like... I feel like there was a lot more to him than just, yeah, you know, whatever. For for sure, Renaissance man, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I on a personal level liked writing about him because this is one of the rare. This is probably the first episode that we have ever done, ever. Like we've done a hundred. This is like the fifteenth episode, but like it's the first one where it's actually legitimate that i did not have to look up anything about the work that he did because mm, in algebra sure. because i know all of that stuff so yeah. it, which made it hard for me to talk about when i was you know when we're recording because i know what i want to say about it. i don't need to read it this is like i teach this in class this is algebra two this is algebra mm -hmm. so it's algebra one stuff oh, okay. so but it was a pleasure to be able to say, oh, a complex number. I know what those are. This is how you get them. This is why we need them. And just to not have to, because with all the other math, everything else you've had to do, mm -hmm. I have had to look up, right? do a lot of research. So I don't know if you have found that when we have some chemists where you're just like, I'm an expert in this and you can just kind of not have <laughs> to worry about it. But it was very, it was a nice break for me that I could just talk about something that I, I use, use my area of expertise which I don't normally get to do. So it was, I don't know, I liked it. I liked researching him. I liked that we had a math person. I like that we're doing more math people later, but I can guarantee you that the other math people, I will have to do a lot of research about their math. I can guarantee you that. I can tell you that I actually would count Jerry as a mathematician, unlike how I felt about Hypatia. So. Yeah, that's true because her, she was probably more of a philosopher. philosopher? Yeah, but yeah. she was, but she did math. Nah. You know, I know. She I give a, Jerry more credit for it. For his he was math. definitely more of a mathematician than she was, for sure. Yeah, for sure. 
All right then, sources. Oh boy. Um, of course we'll post them to Facebook. Um, I had a couple uh websites like different uh academic websites. I read um I read Cardano the Gambling Scholar that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um I looked a little bit at a book called The Clock in the Mirror by Nancy G. Sarasi. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course his autobiography, which is the book of my life. And that's about it. Uh, my paper that I read about the universities of the Renaissance and Reformation from Renaissance Quarterly, because that's a journal. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, to learn a little bit more about like that rector position mm -hmm. or whatever, but yeah, cool. That's what I got. Um, one of my sources was actually a website, uh, mathshistory.standandrews. Yeah, I have that one, mm -hmm. which because which makes sense why it would be there because of what you told me about his jaunt over to fix mm -hmm. the guy who was allergic to feathers. I also <laughs> was. I also read. Oh, there is a book called Great Feuds in Mathematics by Hal Hellman. Mm. Yes, it's on my buy me list on Amazon because um, it's very I the chapter on cardano and tartaglia is mm -hmm. the first chapter and so i read most of it because mm -hmm. it was a look inside part of the look inside so i didn't have to get the book to do this uh, research but i want to tell you all to get the book because reading about he writes in a style where it's very much it's very similar to this format and that he's talking about what's going on at the time he's talking yeah. about what the fight was about he's using a variety of sources and the language is so readable and the math is so accessible and there, there are 10 covered in the book. And oh, and trust me, I got some of them for future brawls. Oh man. Future episodes. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, highly recommend Great Feeds in Mathematics by Hal Hellman. So it's okay. It's very cool. Then I had Cardano, the Gambling Scholar. I wrote a book called right. Girolamo Cardano by Marcus Fears. And okay. um, it was heavy on the biographical information, but there was a whole big section about his math and the fight with Tartaglia. Okay. So um, then I read um, Jerry's book on games of chance and I got some pages of our, I looked at some pages of Ars Magna and all that kind of thing. So okay. and some, you know, random websites mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. So those are my sources. All right. Ready to tease next week. That is so excited about. I know. Maggie's very excited because next week is Bro Week. Very excited. It's always my favorite week. So um to tease it, I guess um you could say we're gonna shine a light on to an interesting controversy that was quite electric. It really it really was. Yeah. It was really, it really was. Also, I have excited. the electric slide now in my head. Yeah, I have Electric Avenue in my head now. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Well, because we're we're recording this not too long after the Super Bowl. Did you see the Super Bowl commercial? Are we allowed to say Super Bowl? Isn't that one of those words that like you can't say it anyway? Well, did we said it. <laughs> did you Did you see the the commercial from the big game that had uh Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? And, I did. Uh, I did. Penelope, what Penelope Cruz, right? Sama Hayek. So yeah. So, it's going to be, I know that you didn't have fun with part of your research. Most right? of it, but most of it, any of it. I don't it, know. 
I, it was one of the, but well, it's, there's a ton of information about it. So I know both of us had a slog there. And so again, we're something that I'm in, increasingly enjoying about our brawls is that we and find that, out something very different from what we think going yes, in. Yes, we, we, we yeah. have a, we have a perception. We have a, where we think the episode is going to go and then it happens and we're frantically texting each other. Like, uh, did you know this? Uh, did you know this? This isn't going where we thought it would go. And it's still, yeah. I mean, it's still a good episode, but it's, it's very surprising. Lots of surprises for next week. Yeah. So I'm excited. So do you have anything else? No. All right. Then until next week, Live dangerously. Do science.